We are continuing our, our annual theme this year, We Believe. We're continuing through examining the different doctrines that our church holds. Doctrinal statements are interesting. They, they're kind of like wedding vows, wherein they roughly define the parameters, but insufficiently capture what is too impossibly deep to nail down with letter on a pen and page. Doctrine like wedding vows must be lived out over time to really properly be understood. They have to be conducted, challenged, felt, proved, only truly known in the context of, of the foundry of experience, which is life. And so to try to capture a doctrinal belief in, in a single statement uh, really isn't enough. But we do what we can. And, and today we're going to be looking at the doctrine of salvation. Here's how we have it written in our doctrinal statement. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. As mankind's representative and substitutionary sacrifice. We believe that all who by grace through faith receive him as their personal savior are justified on the basis of his blood shed on Calvary. They are born again of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as children of God, those who believe, abide, and follow Christ will never perish and are eternally secure. We believe the Holy Spirit baptizes a person who believes into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. But you know, Jesus never made such a succinct statement as that. <clears throat> Jesus was far less academic when he describes salvation. Far more elusive. When Jesus described salvation, he conveyed more than what could be seized by just the mind. When Jesus spoke about salvation, he spoke to the human condition. He spoke to the soul. And this morning I invite you to settle into one of his teachings, John chapter 10, where we see three Distinct parables often thought of as one parable that described what Jesus thought of as salvation. And here in John chapter 10, we see Jesus address kind of three meta themes. He addresses authenticity, acquisition, and finally he addresses abundance. First, let's look at John chapter 10 verses 1 through 5 and let's examine the theme of authenticity. Jesus is speaking to the crowds in Israel. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. To him the gate, uh, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's see if we can understand what he was saying. What we're dealing here, here with here is a claim to authenticity. We're all looking for what is real, what is significant, 
What is fulfilling? We don't want superficial. We want meaningful. Right? And do you think you're any different than a man or a woman that lived 2,000 years ago? Those things were just as important to them. And Jesus was speaking to what they longed for. And he made the claim that I am the one authentic shepherd. In a world of phonies, we long for the genuine article, genuine love, genuine leadership, genuine understanding, genuine connection, genuine extension, genuine expression. And in this first parable, Jesus is saying, there's a lot of false shepherds out there, but I am authentic. And this is what we believe. He makes a contrast between himself and, in verse 1, he makes a contrast between himself and the thief and a robber. We also see it, as we look ahead in verse 8, he makes that same contrast between himself as the true shepherd and the thieves and the robbers. Jumping ahead in verse 12, he also makes a contrast between himself as the shepherd and other hired hands who flee when the wolf comes. And then, of course, he's making the contrast between himself and the wolf. And just think about those other three alternate relationships with the sheep. If we're the sheep, Christ is the shepherd, what is a thief and a robber's relationship to the, th uh, to the sheep? The thief comes to steal the sheep. He's motivated by self-gain. The hired hand abandons the sheep. He's motivated by self-preservation. The wolf comes to consume the sheep. He's motivated by simple animal hunger, lust. And we don't need to identify exactly who each one of these are. I think generally Jesus is speaking about the other false teachers, the other uh, leaders in Israel. I think the wolf is referring to Satan, but he, he, he uses other metaphors that are similar throughout his teachings. But what he's saying is, I am not them. I'm not motivated by my self-preservation. I'm not motivated by anything I have to gain for myself. I'm not motivated by my lust. I have a different motivation. And notice, he, ha he feels compelled. He only has so many sermons to preach while on earth, before he's gone. He has the crowds with him for only so much amount of time. And he feels compelled to warn them about the thieves. And I think this is important because we they're not as easily recognizable as we think they are. You remember in, in, in uh, the, the, the movie The Christmas Story where Ralphie has that daydream of the thieves climbing over his fence and coming in. You remember what they look like? They've got the black and white stripes on. They've got the... Uh, the black caps on, they've got the masks across their face. They're easily identified as thieves, but that's not the reality in the spiritual uh, uh, world that we face. The sheep stealers don't identify themselves as such. The sheep stealers are sophisticated. They're able to persuade intelligent people. They're validated by contemporary, even Christian culture. They're celebrated in the history books. And all we have that stands between us and them is our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to listen for His voice. He mentions the gatekeeper in verse 3. And I don't think that's indicating any specific person other than it's saying, 
If the gatekeeper lets me in, it proves I'm legitimate. I am the shepherd. And it says he enters by the door. By the door. That means he takes the inherently valid path to win you over. By entering by the door, what he's saying is he will win your response by means that are congruent with the intent of your design. So you were designed a certain way. And Jesus knows exactly how you were designed. And he's going to get the response from you that is required based on how he designed you. But the thieves, those who climb over the wall, they come and they win you over by alternate means. Let's think about what some of those alternate means are first. And the thieves, what they do is they come, they lead you astray, or they take you away, they plunder you. And they bring you into a world of sin, a wilderness of sin. And every step along the way, they convince you that this is the right choice to make. And so how do they do that? How do they win your assent? You're agreeing to it. You're going with them. The false uh, teachers, the false gospel bearers, the thieves, they lure you away by selfish, debased, sinful desire. Sin leads us away, it bribes us by power, it bribes us with control, position, it assures us, I'll give you all these things, it assures autonomy, independence, self-sovereignty, I'm an American, I'm going to be independent, I'm going to do what only I want to do, it convinces you that you are special, that your circumstance is unique, that your context is peculiar. Some things come in and the avenue that they take to lead you away, they persuade you with fear. Fear of being alone. Fear of being different. Fear of being abused. Fear of being left out. Fear of not getting what you are assured you deserve to have. And so you go off with a thief. But Jesus, he wins your response by valid means. Here's what I mean by that. Think about this. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. And Jesus leads me to discover my purpose. I have dignity. And Jesus answers my dignity. He affirms my dignity. He heightens my dignity. Whereas when we make sin choices, the current culture today, the, the current belief about humanity... It, it's demeaning to our dignity. It denies our dignity. Jesus affirms it. I have, I have a longing. So many times that longing, unmet, is what draws me into sin. Jesus knows you have a longing. And he comes and he loves you. As you are right now. That's a different kind of love. I've been told that men... Marry women hoping they'll never change and they always do. And women marry men hoping, they'll, uh, hoping they will change and they never do. But God's love is different. God loves you exactly the way you are. So much so that he died for you. He won you over. He loves you not as you're going to be. He loves you as you are. He loves you without reservation. He knows you better than you know you. And he loves you more than you can even possibly imagine. He 
answers the longing in our hearts. I have purpose, I have dignity, I have longing, I have potential, and Jesus enables me to fulfill my potential beyond what I can ask or think. These are the valid avenues to get you to respond to Him. You see, we, we are an echo of Christ's original voice. And until we hear that voice, you're just an echo bouncing around without a source. And you feel that. You sense that. You, you, you have a, a subconscious awareness of the discord. And you long for resonance. And, it, and you will not find it in the world. You will not find it in sin. But it's what causes you to go from sin to sin. From philosophy from, to philosophy. From belief to belief. But only Jesus is the source. And until you find Jesus, until you hear His voice, you will be lost. Jesus calls out to your soul in a way that nothing else can. And notice in these first few verses what the response of the sheep is. First of all, we hear His voice and we know it. In verse 3 it says, The sheep hear His voice. In verse 4 it says, When He has brought out His own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. We hear His voice, and we know it. This is something that is almost unprovable, except for the one that's experiencing it. How many people here, think of someone, whoever it is that's closest to you, I mean relationally closest to you, do you think you could do a blind test and identify their voice? Tim, you know your wife pretty well, right? Yes, good answer. Now, do you think that, it, it, you know, if we put her and maybe five other women behind a curtain, would you be able to identify her voice? Absolutely, he says. I think most of us would share that, correct? But if I were to ask you, well, describe the voice in such a way that I could identify it as well. That, that would be almost impossible, wouldn't it? It would be impossible. And yet we hear Christ's voice, and we know it. It's self-affirming. We're convinced of it. When Christ is speaking to us, when He is pouring purpose into our life, when we discover why we are here, all of a sudden that voice, we, we know it, and it doesn't matter if we can convince anyone else about it. We know what we know what we know. So when you hear the voice, the first thing is you recognize it. You know this is different than every other voice I've heard in the world. The sheep hear His voice, they know it. Also, the response is, he calls us by name, and we respond. See that in verse 3? At the end of verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. He's got a plan for you. He loves you. This isn't like joining a political party. This is different than that. Christ has a specific plan. He calls you by name. And how do we respond? Well, we allow Him to lead us. At the end of verse 3, it says He leads them, he leads them out. And then after He's brought them out, it says He goes before them, in verse 4, and the sheep follow Him. So He leads us out, and then He goes before us, and we follow Him. We respond. We identify His voice. We respond to it. We come out. We come to Him. And then He leads and we follow. That's our responsibility because He is authentic. There are so many sources 
that are seeking to lead you today. Only follow what is authentic. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm the only one worth following. So we have these three themes. The first one is authenticity. Oh, let me read. I found this in, a, in a, one of the commentaries. A great kind of poetic description of what I just read. There's verses 1 through 5. This is from the pulpit commentary. It says, Our Lord continues to describe what every true shepherd of men has done and ever will do. When he has put forth all his own, and not another's, drawn them by the music of his voice, or constrained them by the sweet violence of his love, or even compelled them to go forth from a fold in which they may find security but not pasture, when he has marshaled them into obedience and into thankful trust by the strength of his sympathy and the knowledge of their need, he goes before them. He is their leader and example. He shows them in his own life the kind of provision made for them. He shares with them the perils of the wilderness. And first of all, is prepared to grapple with their fiercest foes. What a beautiful description of our relationship with our shepherd. But a second theme is covered in verses 7 through 9. In 7 through 9, in 7 through 9 we see acquisition. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So now, rather than him being the shepherd, he's the door. And rather than the sheep coming out of the fold, the sheep are coming into the fold. So rather than him calling them out, they're going into the fold for protection. For salvation. He says in verse 9, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. From all the external dangers, from the thieves, from the robbers, from the hirelings, and from the wolf, from the elements, from lack of provision. Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll be safe. And so we see this offer of salvation. And really it's only one of three different provisions. The first provision is salvation. He will be saved. But the second provision is liberation. He says he will be saved and will go in and out. Liberation. This is, this is what we find in grace. Not tight constraints. Not rigid confinement. Not me being measured by my failures in, in relationship to the law. No, I have freedom to go in and out. If I come in by Christ, I have grace. I have freedom. I have liberty. I enjoy Christ and all that He provides for me. I go in, I go out. And so we have salvation, which is I'm safe. We have liberation, which is I am free. And then we also have provision. He says He goes in, He's saved, He will go in and out, and He will find pasture. That means I have what I need. I consume my fill. I'm satisfied, strengthened, delighted. And if we have these three things, I mean, if you have these three things, if you have safety, freedom, and satisfaction, all of these to the max, what sin could possibly lure you away? There is no sin that could lure you away. If you are 100% standing in safety, freedom, and satisfaction. And that is what is offered. But the whole point of this second little mini parable is, how do I get it? That's what's being offered to me. 
by changing the parable. He's no longer the shepherd, now he's the door. He said, you only get it by coming through me. Only through me. The, I have this verse memorized in the original King James, the old King James. I memorized so many verses when I was a kid in the King James. And then my verse here says, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The old King James says, I am the door by me if any man enters in. You remember that translation? By me if any man enters in. Why, why did they put that word order like that? Because in the original Greek, that was the word order. In the original Greek, he was bringing emphasis not into what you're going to do, but he's bringing emphasis in what he provides. By me, if any man enters in. If you want that salvation, that freedom, the liberty, the satisfaction, it's a, it's a, it's a unique offer. It, oh, it's exclusively through Jesus Christ. He is the access point. He is the portal. Later on in a couple of chapters, he's going to say, no one comes to the Father but through me. Now listen, here's what he's saying. There's only one door. If you want safety, freedom, and, and satisfaction, you're not going to find it in anything other than through Jesus. So that means the choices here are everything in the world and Jesus. That's the choice. Everything else in Jesus. And everything else is offering you safety, freedom, and satisfaction. But none of them can deliver on what they're offering. Only Jesus can deliver. Because He's authentic and He's the means of acquiring it. You go through Jesus. So we see the theme of authenticity. We see the theme of acquisition. We can only acquire that through Jesus. And finally, in verses 10 through 18, we see the theme of abundance. In verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For the reason the Father loves me, uh, for this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The theme here is abundance. Now, if you could choose to have any one thing in abundance... What would you choose? Kids, think about that. If you could have as much of one thing, what would you choose to have? You know, you, your answer will probably vary depending on how old you are. When I was younger, I surely would have said Oreo cookies. I love Oreo cookies. I've, I've heard it said that my, my, my vision of heaven, my view of heaven is... 
doing a back float down the river of milk and plucking the Oreos from the trees above. I love Oreos, but if, I don't think I'm going to choose Oreos now, though, because they're just cookies, right? I mean, really. Maybe money. If I could have any one thing in abundance, maybe it would be money. You know, we win the lottery. Think about that. Sometimes that lottery gets up to $300 million. That's life-changing money. You know, I don't waste my time buying lottery tickets. If it's just a puny $10 million. No, maybe if it's $300 million. But you know what? I recognize now that there are a lot of problems that infinite money wouldn't solve. I have some of those problems right now. I bet you do too. So money isn't the answer. Cookies, not in abundance. What about relationships? Well, it's not about quantity, is it? I, I just saw an interview of a famous actor, and he said, everybody, everybody knows who I am. And he says, it's kind of sad to think that I will never again have the opportunity to make a first impression, because everyone thinks they know who I am. And these people that have fame, they've got a lot of people that know them, but they're not satisfied. I would say even relationships in abundance isn't what's most needed. If you could only choose one thing, Jesus chose the right thing. He said, if you want something in abundance, I'm going to give you life itself in abundance. This is what we're looking for. This is fulfillment, satisfaction. This is eternal depth and longevity and richness of experience. I don't want to miss out on that. That's what he's saying when he says, I'm going to give you life in abundance. That word abundance is, is an amplifier word. Throughout scripture it's described in Ephesians 3.20, that word is used when he says, far more abundantly. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 51 he says, you know, they had just seen a miracle. He says they were utterly astounded. Amplifying. In Mark 7, verse 36, he talks about uh, he had healed some people. He tried to keep them quiet, but he could not because they were more zealously excited to get the word out. All of that is wrapped up in the word abundance. Christ offers those who hear his voice, his authentic voice, and come to him as the portal, as the door. He offers them abundant life. But it comes at the cost of his life. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what's required. If you want that kind of life, there's only one place you can get it. That's through Jesus. And we have the ability to only do half that equation. We can lay down our life. He could lay down his life and take it up again. That's the important part. He could give us all of what he has. And then he could join us also on the other side. That's what he's offering us. That's the abundance that he has to give us. So we see authenticity, acquisition, and abundance. Just a few uh, chapters later, Jesus says a verse that everyone here knows. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's covering those exact same things right here. The truth. I am what's authentic. The way. I am the door. Life. I give you life more abundance. Now, in conclusion, I want you to set your eyes on verse 16. He's speaking to you directly. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. At this time, 
It wasn't even conceivable that anyone that was not an Israelite would be privy to this offer. But Jesus says to them, listen, you don't even know it yet, but I've got other sheep that are not of this fold, but they're going to hear my voice, and they're going to come in, and there will be one shepherd and one flock. That's you. He's speaking to you through time and space. He's speaking to you right now. This is his offer for salvation. It's kind of amazing. We covered this doctrine of salvation as Christ taught it. We never once even talked about heaven. We didn't give a recited prayer for you to mimic. I believe in heaven. I believe in prayer. But Jesus is speaking about something deep here. He says, if, you, if I'm calling out to you, you're going to hear my voice. And maybe someone here is hearing that voice for the first time. And you're just thinking through all these things that he has to offer. My, my purpose, my dignity, my longing, my potential to be loved, salvation, freedom, satisfaction. I want all of those. And for the first time in your life, you're realizing, I can't get that anywhere else except through Jesus. Would you respond to that call? Would your soul call out in faith and trust and reliance on Christ? Today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is call out to Him. All you have to do is follow after Him. Receive the shepherding that He longs to give you. But I suspect that most of us here have heard that voice. Most of us have been in the flock for some time. And we've enjoyed, we've been bedded down to green pastures. We've been guided through the valley of the shadow of death. But perhaps there's some here who've spent a few nights out of the fold recently. Maybe a few more than you care to even admit. Maybe you find yourself out lost in the wilderness, spiritually speaking. Maybe there's some here that are bogged down somewhere in the mire. Maybe they're stranded on a mountaintop and they haven't heard that voice for a long time, but over the horizon through this sermon today, you heard the voice anew. You heard your shepherd calling out to you. Would you respond? Would you answer him in faith? Would you say, Lord, I haven't been listening for a long time, but I'm listening now. Keep speaking. Lord, I haven't followed you in a long time, but I'm telling you right now, from where I'm at, I'm going to start following. Please don't stop. That is the response he's looking for. And we're going to close now with a song. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. And this song just it gives you an opportunity. You don't have to say these words, but as these words are sung over you, maybe this is your opportunity to respond to the voice of Christ calling you. Father, I just want to say a